So I've had the privilege of, uh, I've been to Thailand twice. And, you know, it's, it's a long journey, but it's, it's such a cool place to visit. And, like, while we're there, we get to take a small boat ride and go over to uh, Myanmar, which, which was uh, at once known as Burma. Um, and so while in Thailand, we're working with Burmese people who have come over to a place in Renong, Thailand, and we work in a, in a Burmese segment of Thailand. And I'll never forget the first time we went. Um, one of the things that we were able to do, because the, the, the first time that we went, we were there to just kind of do some scout work, just encourage the, the ministry that was already happening through faithful pastors in Thailand. Um, but one of the things that we got to do was go to a local school. And one of the things that the Burmese children in this school love to do is, is show us that they know English. Like, it, it's really funny. Like, the numbers, they can count it out, and they shout it out that they know uh, 1 through 10 in English. And we get to have fun with this. And so um, we were doing certain things like, okay, so we have how many uh, seconds in a minute? And they would shout 60. Okay, so how many minutes are in an hour? 60. How many hours are in a day? And they would shout out 24. And so uh, one of the guys that we were with, he's in IT. And what he began to do was on this chalkboard, instead of doing minutes, seconds, and hours, he turned it into like this how many gigabytes are in a kilobyte, and, and all this stuff. Like, we got to, like, bajillion bytes, okay? He was doing all this stuff, and what he was doing on the board was once we got to a high number, he was writing it as a multiplication pr uh, problem. And he got to a number that was high enough on the board. It was, it was I, I can't even remember the exact number, but I'll never forget that while he was doing this, he turns around and he says, Adam, why don't you finish this? And so there's, like, 60 Burmese children. And I'm like, okay. And I was, I mean... I was in college at this point, but you wouldn't have known it. And so let's just say I have 28 times 377. And I, I'm like, so what you want to do is carry the one. And they're like, no, no, you don't want to. I'm like, yeah, okay. Let, now, it's, it's turned into a joke now because they think I'm being funny, and I'm not. I'm like, so what you want to do is, is, is what? <laughs> and whenever they shouted out, I was like, yeah, that's right, yeah. I'll never forget that. Because in those moments, you're like, man, I'm, I'm teaching 1 through 10 in English. And then it turns to a basic math problem, and I'm, I have never felt so stupid. I promise you, if my life depended on it, I could not do a multiplication problem on a whiteboard right now. I just, like, we have a phone for that, right? Like, and I don't, I don't know. So <laughs> it was the ultimate, like, I'm feeling pretty good about this, to the ultimate, I'm an idiot. And in life, I share that story because in life, you and I have these moments. You and I have these moments, if we're honest, where one day we think, man, I'm doing pretty good. Like, maybe I'm the best at what I'm doing. And then the next hour, <laughs> you think, man, I'm the worst. Maybe you feel like this in parenting. That one day you're like, man, I got this down. They're in bed. Like, we only had six hours of screen time today. Like, this is, this is good. And then the next day it's like, I'm the worst parent in the world. And we laugh, but do any of you in here think that sometimes? Maybe in your job. One day you're like, no, I did everything I needed to do. Like, I was really good. And then the next day you're like, why am I even doing this? I'm the worst at this. Life can humble us so quickly. And it's not just life. 
I mean, if we're honest in here, if you were a Jesus follower in this room today, if we're honest, we see that it goes past parenting and jobs and marriage. But it sometimes invades into our faith walk where, man, Adam, you were pretty faithful reading scripture this week. I mean, you prayed for that person. You're, you're doing pretty good at this. And then the next week, man, you weren't so faithful. You're probably the worst. <laughs> I mean, we have examples like this in the Bible. We have, we have David, who the Bible qualified as a, as a man after God's heart, writing things like, God, you've forgotten me, and my tears are my food day and night. And then like two psalms later, he's like, man, I will walk into your courts praising you with a mighty sound. Like there are moments, even in Scripture, when people are honest about, man, it's just the ultimate high and the lowest of low wherever we find ourselves in life. Have you felt like this? Depending on life circumstances, you're either the man or you're the joke. And here's the problem that we see, and here's the problem that we're going to explore together this morning, is that we can easily give our circumstances the power to control our perception. We can easily give our circumstances the power to control our perception. You see, you and I have a tendency to be so controlled by the circumstances around us, that whether it be in our family, in our job, or even in our faith, that we allow the circumstances to dictate how we perceive ourselves as a husband, as a wife, as an employee, as a parent, and as a pastor. The circumstances around us sometimes dictate how we view ourselves. And here's the scary part. If you're taking notes, write this down as well. Circumstances can easily give us the false perception of failure or success. That's why it's so dangerous sometimes. Because circumstances do not just flow one way or the other. They are both. The circumstances that you are in right now either give you the perception, if we're not careful, that you are a failure, or your circumstances tell you that you are great success because of what you've done. And here's the problem with that. The perception of failure will lead us to stall out in what God is calling you to do. If your circumstances around you allow you and control you to perceive you, yourself, as those circumstances, if it is a failure, you will stall out in everything that God is calling you to do. You will think, and if we're honest in here this morning, we've had these thoughts, I am not good enough because of these things going around me. We will stall. But on the flip side, the perception of Great success will lead me to deep pride and dependency on myself. Do you see the scale here like a roller coaster? Like it's the lowest of lows where it's like I stall in everything that God is calling me to do. I stall, I just quit trying in my marriage. I quit trying at my job. I quit trying at parenting because it's just not worth it. I'm not worth it. We have that. But then we could go quickly to the highest of high and think, man, I'm doing really well. And I don't need anybody but myself. Maybe that's just me in the room. I don't know. And we sort of started this conversation last week. If you're new with us this morning at Citizens, we've been in the book of Acts for a while now. 
And the book of Acts, our study, is going to take us all the way into November. But we, we kind of started this conversation last week as we looked at Acts 13. And basically our main point was this, that we have to train our ears, right? That all of us in here have these voices that are speaking about our circumstances, right? And we have these voices that we say, you're not good enough. You're stupid. And then we have the voice, that's the voice of the enemy. But then we have the voice of the Lord saying, no, I've, I've died for you. I love you. I care for you. You're not an idiot. And we have to train our ears. That's what we talked about last week. We have to train our ears to listen to the voice of God over the voice of the enemy. Internal voices dictate our self-worth and our calling. And today we pick it back up in Acts 14. You can go ahead and turn there. It'll also be on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you today. And if you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you one. They're in the lobby. They're completely free. Please take one. And as we pick up in Acts chapter 14 this morning, we're sort of going to continue that thought as we see Paul and Barnabas as they continue their missionary journey. See, in Acts chapter 14, we are going to see the lowest of the lows and the highest of the highs. And we're going to talk a little bit about that idea of circumstances controlling our perception of who we believe that we are. And so with that in mind, let's look, in, let's look at it. The first seven verses we'll read together. In Iconium, they entered the Jewish synagogue. So this is Paul and Barnabas. And I love what Luke, the writer of Acts, says here. They, they entered the synagogue as usual and spoke in such a way that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they stayed there a long time and spoke boldly for the Lord, who testified to the message of his grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. But the people of the city were divided, some siding with the Jews and others with the apostles, when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them. They found out about it and fled to Lyconian towns of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding countryside. There they continued to preach the gospel. Back in the synagogue, classic Paul, right? As Paul would travel from city to city on these missionary journeys, he would first start, we kind of see a pattern as we go throughout um, the book of Acts. We see this pattern where, where Paul, whoever he was with, would start in the synagogues, the temple, the church of the people. And he would share there, and then it would turn to the people outside the temple courts. And then from there, we would see that he would what? He would go on to a surrounding city. That's kind of what we see time and time again in the book of Acts. Synagogue outside the synagogue, and then outside the city into another city. But we can infer that while Paul was in the synagogue, while we didn't study it too much last week, we can infer that while Paul was in the temple preaching, he probably shared about the Messiah, right? Last week in Acts chapter 13, he, he shared this history of, of Israel and how, yeah, we had Moses and he was great, but Moses points to Jesus, and how, yeah, we, we give sacrifices here today, but we don't give sacrifices like Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice. We can infer that Paul preached this message of forgiveness of sins. And the people respond to the message. You see, that's what I love about this. As Paul is guided by the Spirit, Luke tells us right off the bat that people believe, Jews and Greeks alike, believed in this message. But not everyone did. And it's not that not everyone just didn't believe and went on with their day. The scripture tells us that the Jews 
poisoned the people's minds towards Paul and Barnabas, and they try to kill them. And so the question becomes, as we read these first seven verses together, did Paul know at this time that the Jews were spreading false accusations about him to others? Did Paul know that when a group of people showed up and they tried to stone him, and not like 420 stone him, like with rocks stone him, did Paul know that, hey, there's false accusations going around about me and that's why they're here? Or did he just see their threats and plans to execute him without knowing why? And it's important that we ask this question. Did Paul know that they were coming against him because of false accusations? Or did he just see that, I mean, I guess my message didn't go over too well. And that's an important question to ask because it leads us to this truth. Write this down. We don't always have all the facts concerning our circumstances. Many times, and very rarely, do we have all the facts surrounding our circumstances. I mean, how easy would it have been for Paul to think, well, we thought the Spirit was leading us here, but I guess not because they want to kill us. How good was your talk, Paul? Well, they tried to kill me, so it went over really well. You see, it would have been dangerous for Paul, in who he is as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, to jump to the conclusion that they must have gotten it wrong because he doesn't have all the information. And how many times in your life do you not have all the facts, yet the circumstances surrounding your life control you to perceive yourself as someone you're not? You don't have all the facts, but we act as if we do. If someone doesn't text you back, how does that feel? It feels terrible. Text me back, people. I'm one of those that like, text me back. And if someone doesn't, my tendency sometimes is like, man, they're mad at me. When it's like, I don't know that. But I jump to, they're mad at me, and then what do I jump to? What did I do? And then I'm just like, okay, what, what did I do? I said this, but did I say it wrong? I, I jump to all these conclusions, and I don't know the full context that they were at the dentist. We do that. And it's so dangerous to jump to conclusions when we don't have all the information because we don't know, did Paul know that people were spreading false rumors about him? Or did he just see the crowd and think, have I messed up? Because we know the answer to that. It wasn't that he messed up. It was that they were spreading false rumors about him. And why were they doing that? Because this is interesting. The Jews were slandering and riling him up. Why? Because he was saying, hey, don't listen to them anymore? Because he was making money off of his message and they weren't anymore? Was it because he was doing all these spectacular signs and wonders, which he did and we're about to get to? Or was it because what the scriptures just told us and they were mad at him and wanted to kill him because he was preaching a message of grace? Look back down at it, verse 3. So they stayed there a long time and spoke boldly for the Lord, who testified to the message of his grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. It wasn't because they said something wrong. 
It wasn't because Paul and Barnabas needed more training before they stepped into the synagogue. It was because they were preaching the grace to a people who had been told their entire lives that the law saved them. They were preaching this message of grace, that it is through the Lord and his forgiveness and his sacrifice that you can be saved and made right with God and not let me do all the right things so that at the end of my life, I pray to God that my good outweighs my bad. He was preaching this message, and they didn't like it. And this is just a side note. Just because folks are mad at you doesn't mean that you're saying or speaking the wrong thing. Like, that's not a point, but that's just a side note. That Paul was speaking exactly the message that the Lord had commanded him to speak, and they didn't like it. So just because people get mad at you because you say something doesn't mean that you're wrong. I mean, I, I, like, I'm, I'm thinking back to our time in Raleigh when I was at New City Church, and a lady of the church that I greatly still respect, like we, we love them to death, pulled me to the side, and she said, hey, can I speak to you for a moment? I said, sure. And she said, Adam, the Lord told me that, that you were not going to start a church in High Point. And I was like, you need to check your connection, because yes, we are. <laughs> Literally, like I, was, I didn't say that, but I was rude back. I'm like, oh, that's interesting, because the Lord told me we were. And she said, I'm, I'm not trying to discourage you, but I, I felt this from the Lord that you are not going to start a church in High Point, but the Lord is going to give you all the desires of your heart. I felt that, and I just wanted to share that with you. And I was so mad. Like, I remember telling Emily, like, how dare she? I remember going to Dylan, who was here the end of June, um, and being like, dude, she said this to me. And he was like, well, are, are you going to High Point? Like, yes, we are. This is what the Lord, and, and, and he's like, well, I would just pay attention. I don't know. I expected him to be like, man, I can't believe she'd do that. Let's bring her into a church discipline moment. <laughs> but instead, he was like, well, maybe you should listen to her. And isn't it interesting that uh, we didn't start a church in High Point, but we got all the desires of our heart because you guys are here. Oh, that's, yeah, that's right. <laughs> the Lord may be calling you. To speak the exact words that he has put in your mouth. And it may be rejected. The Lord may be calling you to call out something in your spouse or in your kids or in your friend in your community group. That you think, man, they're going to be so mad at me if I say this. But maybe you need to. So just a side note. We see that with Paul. Just because people are mad at you doesn't mean that you've spoken the wrong message. I remember how mad I was. And turns out Tracy was just being as faithful as she could to speak to me of what she thought the Lord may be speaking to her. And here we are. And we see here that even amidst the, hey, Paul, we're going to kill you right now. Paul goes on. And his perception, what we've been talking about, was in step with the Spirit. As he doesn't say this, so Adam is inferring this, it's not in Scripture, I can imagine Paul saying, I am walking in my calling even if they hate me. Because while they escape this town with their lives, they don't go uh, like, like hunker down somewhere. What did the scriptures tell us? Verse 7, they continued preaching the gospel. They just went to other cities and did it. And so Paul knew, they're trying to kill me. But I'm doing exactly what the Lord would have me do. His perception was rooted in that. And so let's continue reading as he goes on. Verse 8, we've had the lowest of the low. And if people are trying to drag you out of this church and kill you, 
It's pretty low. Verse 8. In Lystra, so we've moved context, we've moved cities now. In Lystra, there was a man sitting who was without strength in his feet and had never walked, and he had been lame from birth. And he listened as Paul spoke. And after looking directly at him and seeing that he had the faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, Stand up on your feet. (laughs) And he jumped up and began to walk around. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down from us, to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, brought bulls and wreaths to the gates because they, he intended with the crowds to offer sacrifice. The apostles Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this and rushed into the crowd shouting, People, why are you doing these things? We are people also, just like you, and we are proclaiming the good news to you that you may turn from these worthless things to the living God. And here he quotes the Old Testament, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them. In past generations, he allowed the nations to go their own way, although he did not leave himself without a witness. Since what he did is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy, even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. The highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows. As Paul enters this city, he begins to preach again. And once again, we see people responding to this message. And this time, we even see a man who was lame from birth. And that doesn't mean he was uncool. That means he couldn't walk. He was lame from birth. And Paul looks at him and says, get up and walk. And he does. So by the Spirit, many signs and wonders are happening. And what is the response this time? Instead of wanting to sacrifice Paul and Barnabas, they are wanting to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas in this section are being treated as gods. And I begin to think to myself, where do I want to plant a church? (laughs) Iconium, where they may kill me if I preach this message. Or Lystra, where they'll treat me like a god and sacrifice to me by preaching the exact same message. You see, in Greek mythology, Zeus was the all-powerful god. And Luke, the writer of Acts, tells us that in this particular city, just right outside the city, there was a temple dedicated to him. And so they did not just think that Paul and Barnabas were a god. They were the god, Zeus and Hermes. And they would offer sacrifices to Zeus, such as a bull, because a bull is such a strong animal. And so they respond to Paul and Barnabas. And they say, let us bring sacrifices to these men because the gods have come down in human form. And so Lystra, a place where sure there was pagan worship, was a place that was ripe for the gospel. Because yes, there were pagan temples and pagan gods, but Paul and Barnabas walked in preaching the good news of the grace and life through Jesus Christ. And at this moment, it would be so easy for Paul and Barnabas to think, yeah, this is more like it. This is what I am called to. And just as they could have given in to that they want to kill me, I'm a failure. 
they could have just as easily given in to, hey, they're worshiping me. I must be doing something right. I mean, God is lucky to have me on his team. And this is the danger in not just giving into the perception that you are a failure, but also succumbing to the temptation and the perception that you were doing just fine in your own abilities and actions. Some of the hardest Sundays for me are when I feel like I'm only up here because Sunday is going to happen whether I like it or not, and I can just prepare a sermon and share it based on my own abilities. I mean, I've done it a number of times now. And sometimes it's, it's, it's really like terrifying to, to take an, a good look at my soul and think, man, Adam, was that through the Spirit or was that just because Sunday was coming and you had to prepare something and you're not that bad at it? Guys, the danger of false perception is not just that you're a failure, but that you're a great success because of who you are. And yet, what do Paul and Barnabas do here? Well, they tear their clothes. We won't practice that. But they did it. And there weren't many clothes to tear at this point. And they tear their clothes, and they're doing that to show the people as they speak to the people, what are you doing? I'm just like you. Let me prove it. <laughs> and they tear their clothes. That we are not God's. We are people just like you, called to speak this message. Paul and Barnabas recognize that they are not gods or the saviors. But they are the vessels of the one God who is the savior. And even if they wanted to press into this godlike status, they don't have long. <laughs> because look back down at it, verse 19, what happens? Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And when they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city and thinking he was dead. And after the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went into the town. And the next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. So even if Paul and Barnabas wanted to say, yeah, I guess we are gods, the crowds that wanted to kill him have now followed him. And this time they succeed. And they stone him. And they drag him out of the city, presuming that he was dead. And not long after this, this is incredible to me, and this is how we, we really understand. Paul was not a perfect man, so I'm not trying to pump him up like, like, like he was someone who, who never struggled, never, never sinned. However, we see the perception of Paul that even when I am being stoned, the Lord has called me to something, right? And we're not going to study it today, but in your own time, if you would read verses 21 through 28, we would see that the answer for Paul and Barnabas to this, they almost killed me, is more church planting, more disciple making, more mission. It's wild. After Paul regains his strength, he and the apostles would, would return to these cities, strengthening the disciples and loving on the churches planted there. And as we close this morning, we have seen the reality of Paul's circumstances in his life. We've seen, preach the message of grace, and your life is threatened. And we've seen, preach the message of grace, and people treat you like you're a god. We've seen the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. 
And in this life, we walk through circumstances that elevate and deflate our sense of self-worth and even calling. And so what I want us to do as we land this plane is just talk through, what about us? I mean, seriously, what about us? Maybe today, your mind and your spirit is not in a good place. And it's because of the circumstances surrounding you and your perception of your self-worth and self-identity in those circumstances. Maybe that's you this morning. And so as we close, uh, just two notes I want to make and we'll be done. The first one is this, and I think this is true for all of us. So I'm in this same boat. Our perception needs a renewed lens. Our perception needs a renewed lens. Guys, because of sin, (laughs) because of sin, our minds have been thwarted to see things in a sinful light. Because of sin, we need renewal. We don't just need to make something bad good. We need to make something that is dead back to life. And you and I can't do it. The things that we struggle with in our life, we try and we try and we try, right? But in the end, we can't do it. So we need someone to come alongside of us and tell us, hey, just chill for a moment, Adam. And allow me by my love and by my grace and by my spirit to renew your lens in which you look at life. I mean, if, if we were to look at this camera, if I was to use this 28 millimeter lens, my perception is going to be one thing. It's going to be what you get when you look through a 28 millimeter lens. But if I was to change the lens and look through a 50 millimeter lens, I shouldn't expect to get the perception of a 28 when I'm looking through a 50. And some of you in here today need a renewed lens because you are looking through the lens of, I will never be good enough. You are looking through the lens of the circumstances with your spouse or your family or your job or your school, whatever it might be. You're looking through the lens of, I will never be good enough, I'll never be smart enough, I'll never parent well enough. And so why am I even trying? That's the lens you're looking through this morning. Or maybe you're looking through this lens that if we were to look through it, we see, oh man, Adam, you got it going on. I don't know if it's just you, but when I feel like it's got, when, when I got it going on, my prayer life suffers a little bit. <laughs> All of a sudden, my uh, quiet time isn't so quiet. What lens are you looking through this morning? What lens did Paul walk through, look through as he walked through this life? Well, he looked through, not to be, you know, like Jesus juking you, but a gospel lens. And what is the gospel? What is the gospel in which we can look at ourselves and look at the world around us? The gospel is the good news that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel is the good news that that God would put on flesh and walk among us and would die a death that would take care of our sins. And then he would raise victoriously over those sins, over death, over hell, over the grave, so that we can walk in new life. Why can I this morning look through the gospel lens? 
not because I did all the right things to change the lens myself, but because I have trusted in the one who can actually do it. Some of you are working way too hard. And you're making following the Lord harder than it needs to be. Many of us are working when he's calling us to trust. You were created for more. And it starts with the right relationship with God. So this morning, are you trusting in that gospel? Are you trusting in the good news that, yes, I don't have it all together, but the book of Romans tells me that at the right time, Christ died for me, that he saw my sin, he saw my failure, and he came anyways, and he loves me anyways. And now I can walk in this newness of life, not perfection, but man, I certainly have a new lens. So this morning, what does God say about you? Who does God say that you are? How does God feel towards you? Aren't these questions that a lot of times we ask? And wherever you find yourself this morning, I, I want you to hear this. That the Lord loves you. That he's not looking for you to just do better and get closer to him through doing better. He's not asking you to wash your hands and then come to him. He's the one with the sink and the water and the soap and the towel. Like, you need to hear that this morning. How does God view you? We are either children of God or we are people who are created to be children of God. Where do you find yourself today? Because we're all in one of two categories. We're either following Jesus or we are a person that is ripe for the picking to follow Jesus. Because all of us in here would agree internally that, yeah, my circumstances, they surround me sometimes. Yeah, my thought life, it's not the best. Yeah, my spirit, it's not a spirit of rest. It's a spirit of just like, man, what is going on? What does God say about you? How does he feel towards you? Our sermon in a sentence is simply this, and, and this is what it looks like when, when you and I understand that the Lord is providing the gospel lens. That perception is power when we look through the right lens. Guys, there is power in looking through the right lens. There is power when you see the Lord actually loves me. The Lord has actually created me. The Lord is actually calling me to not play the background, but to play a front and center role in everything that he's, he is calling me to do. When we actually come to the philosophical idea that, oh my gosh, there's only one Adam, so he must be calling me to do something different than ZJ and Bethany. And Bethany is called to do what only Bethany can do, not what Adam can do. Like, when we look through that lens that the Lord of the universe loves us enough to call us to that power, there is power when we look through that perception. And in that perception of us, as we look at our circumstances, we no longer have to stall and say, man, I am a failure. No, you're not. Your circumstances just suck right now. Stink right now. Yep, I know. And then when your circumstances look like, man, I am the man, you realize, whoa, I, no, the Lord has just blessed me in amazing ways. This is not a message of self-deprecation. It's just this right lens that like, man, like, if there's anything good in me, thank you, Jesus, that you were doing it. Thank you that I feel the, the passion to love someone because you have loved me. Guys, 
there is power. There is power when we look through the right lens. Critique no longer cripples. You no longer wait for approval before you act. And you begin to walk in the power of the Spirit as everything is viewed through the gospel. Paul, the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. He could have given in to either one of them. He could have quit, or he could have been sitting on a pedestal right now and things be sacrificed to him. But in both of those, he was even kiltered, and his perception was power because he was looking through a gospel lens. So who in here today needs a renewed lens to look through the gospel? Who in here today? Is that you? Is that me? That we view ourselves through the goodness of God and how he has loved us. And if that's you today, and, and you would just desire a prayer of encouragement, we're not going to ask you to come up on stage, but you're like, man, yes, I would love prayer to, to fix my eyes on Jesus as he renews the lens in which I look through life. If that's you this morning, then my wife Emily and Pete one of the best dudes here at this church is going to be in the back and they're going to be ready and prepared to pray for you. And so we're going to sing one more song together. And as we sing, if the Spirit is moving you to take a step and just tell someone, yeah, I need my, my lens renewed. If that's you, take a step.